Well, a good brewery tap room needs a taxidermy, a bladed weapon, and a firearm. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW, or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I am Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University, and with me is Jeff Allworth, author of several books, including the Beer Bible. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. We join you in situ here at Gigantic Brewing in southeast Portland. Yeah. So we have some atmospheric noise for you. We do. Keep and, things uh, authentic. And, yeah, and it's, it's not so loud, so it should be just atmospheric without being intrusive yeah yeah we're starting to get towards the end of the working day so things are picking up around here but totally uh but here how have you been i've been good we had i want to do our usual uh weather check-in we had a winter one of those rare sunny winter days but it really felt like winter yes but, but the quality of the sun had nothing to do with summer so yeah. it was, it's kind of nice mind minded you of wisconsin no doubt it, yeah exactly those cold crisp days lots when, of sun and they're the coldest ones of all and this but the sun always just skitters across the edge of the, <laughs> the earth so it's like it's coming through a bunch of atmosphere so yeah. it's not really and i think like we're really about bright. i think we're gonna have the coldest night of the year tonight down to the 20s Kind of things are gonna freeze. Glad I rode my bike. That'll be fun getting home. Well, uh, normally we banter about, uh, but we should probably uh, be fairly brief today because we have a special two-parter. Yeah. We are at Gigantic for a particular reason. Uh, we are here with Ben Love and Van Havig, um, who ten years ago founded Gigantic Brewing at this here location. At this here location. At the time, they expected it would blend in. With, with its surroundings, and they devoted little attention to the tiny taproom space they called the Champagne Lounge. To their surprise, it became a success, encouraging them to open a second taproom during COVID, and last month, a third. And in fact, not just taproom, but a restaurant. That's right. Uh, a, brew, a proper brew pub. A proper brew pub. Uh, uh, I've lost my spot. <laughs> okay, in today's spot, we're going to ask them about the new place, their 10th anniversary. Uh, and Casca, and we didn't ask them we about Casca. I know. <laughs> We're recording this intro after our interview. Uh, but we can talk about their Casca Ale a yeah, little bit. Yeah, we should. Uh, because, always that's a big deal. Um, they have two Casca engines at the new place. Yes, they've committed. They've committed, so uh, they're down with it. In fact, you put in a special request off-air Yes. Uh, for a cast Pilsner, so we'll see if that comes. To yeah, uh, yeah we, we said it on the podcast, so now we can hold them to account. They That's have right. to do it now. Alright, all that soon, but yeah, first... Van was admittedly non-committal, but I, I'm still going to horse him. Well, I think at the very end he said we'll do it, but he he was already thinking about the kind of modifications they need to make to their regular Pilsner in order to, to make it work on cask, so we'll see. If I get any p- pills on cask, I'll be happy. Yeah, so. absolutely. Alright, all that soon, but first, the news... Early winter has been a strangely busy time in Portland. Not only did Gigantic open their own new tap room, but two new breweries debuted. Well-regarded Portland brewer Whitney Burnside opened her new brewery, Grand Fur, along with her husband, Chef Doug Adams. Four blocks closer to the river, down Stark Street uh, from Grand Fur, Fracture Brewing opened their tap room in December after launching packaged products earlier in the year. Brewer Darren Provenzano, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Darren? Uh, met future wife Nai Lee while brewing in Vietnam, and they relocated to Portland to start Fracture. And the new uh, taproom, which I have not yet had a chance to visit, uh, has really cool Southeast Asian atmospherics. There's a picture of, I think, Nai's, I'm going to say grandmother, but it could be mother, uh, in a mural on the outside, and the inside is uh, groovy too. So That is super cool, and I, I try cool. to keep up, but this is entirely news to me. Oh, well. Yeah, that's why we. It's why we put it in the news feed, baby. That's really cool. So uh, we tried to to get into Grand Fur, but we failed. Yeah. Well, I've been. You've been to Grand Fur, but I, we tried as a group to get into Grand Fur, and it was it was right at the beginning of the, the grand opening, and we decided not to wait the two, three, four, or five hours, whatever it was going to take. That's to get right. In. Yeah, we got there but a little bit before five o'clock, and it was already a two-hour wait. But uh, it, it, that has settled down, so if you want to get into Grand Prix, you can. Yeah. Get and in. I think in the last pod we talked about how... Although maybe not on Saturday. We idiotically tried that on a Saturday, like yeah. right after they opened. Yeah. Well, we that thought we would get there early enough, but no, no, you got to get there right at the opening. Yeah. 
Well, that's cool. And Fracture sounds great. I should uh, look forward to trying that out as well. Yeah, we should maybe have a pint there. That'd be fun. Uh, second news item, grand old writer Roger Protz yep. brings some welcome news from the, the United Kingdom. Uh, while beer is facing many headwinds there, certain segments of the cask market are flourishing. Nice. Led yeah. by Timothy Taylor's landlord. Oh, lovely. Which grew 182% last year. Some old classics are enjoying a renaissance. These include Fuller's London Pride. Fantastic. Green yep. King IPA. Also fantastic. And Abbott Ale. Marston's Pedigree. That's their Burton Union beer. Wadworth 6X. Is that how you're supposed to yeah, read yeah, yeah. that? And two yep. St. Austell beers. He didn't offer a reason, but did note that smaller breweries are not seeing similar growth. Right. So it's not like there's this wonderful renaissance uh, of cask, of all cask ales all across the country. It's a renaissance of old cask ale. But, I mean, those old breweries are the ones that have been suffering for years and maybe even decades. So the yeah. fact that they're growing is really cool. And I was, I stumbled across that. I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome news. I'm throwing the, the news queue. Yeah, and it's such a weird, it, it's hard to, to do parallels because of all the tide houses. So, you know, like Fuller's is a huge presence in London. Right. Lots and lots of pubs and brew pubs. And um, I don't know if that, if that uh, <laughs> represents a, a trend in in punters coming back to those pubs or not. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't either. And maybe, I mean, one of the... There, there could be a slightly dark cloud here, or dark lining to the cloud, which is I know many cask customers expect to be served cheap, and so uh, as all the other prices are rising, maybe it's becoming the puncher's choice for a cheap pint, but um, whatever, it's still good. Well, I'm due to visit my mother and sister in London in eight, in March. Oh, that is so awesome. And, I'm very jealous. And the local, the local is a fuller, so I'll... I'll uh, I'll do some research and yeah. report back. Field field work. Yes, I'll do. I'll I'll uh, I'll take I'll take one for the team and Excellent. hang out all day in a pub <laughs> <laughs> or two, three, four days. Yes, that's good. I'll be there for a week, so we'll awesome. uh, we'll have plenty of time to yeah. to do lots of research. Yeah, and your brother-in-law's <laughs> Czech, so he should. Uh, My brother-in-law is Czech in origin. Yes, he should uh, be a good English drinker. by birth, but yes. Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't know that he likes. I know that he's like uh, big into Czech beer, but I'll have to get him into Czech beer. Maybe I should. Reintroduce him to his roots. Exactly. Yeah. When he was here, by the way, I brought him to Ten Barrel. I don't remember this. Uh, and we had a big flight of lots of hoppy, aromatic beers. Very cool. Yeah. So, Made by Whitney Burnside. Made by Whitney Burnside at the time. Yeah. Who now is at Grandford. Excellent. All right. Uh, we should get to the main topic because we had a lot of great conversation with uh, Ben Love and Van Havig of Gigantic Brew, the two founders uh, of the brewery. Uh, and so uh, we should dive into um, those interviews right away. It's the 10th anniversary. We talk about their journey. We talked about what's changed in beers. We talk about their approach to selling and how that's evolved over time and lots of great topics. So uh, I don't think there's much more to say other than let's get to the interview. Anything you want to inject? Uh, we'll pick it up at, after the end, but we didn't talk about Cascade, so we will talk about that when we come back. Right, and so this is part one of our... Uh, interview where we focus on their brewery and then part two we focus on the uh, industry dynamics in these hard economic times. All right, uh, back on the other side. You're Ben Love, you're Van Havig. We're here in Southeast Portland at Gigantic Brewing. You guys have been doing this 10 years. When was your actual 10-year anniversary? What month? May. May. Yeah. So this is your... You're, you're into your 11th year and yeah. uh, midway through. Yeah, yeah. And you just opened a new pub, uh, and it's a, it is an actual proper pub with a restaurant. Uh, last yep. last month or this this month? I don't. Technically, November 18th. Weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, was when we opened the doors. We kind of mm-hmm. just we literally just opened the doors. We didn't tell anyone. We made no social media announcements. We just opened the doors, and people walked by and said, "Oh, it's open. Let's go in." So, which is our speed and also yeah, a yeah, of right. planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with, I mean, it was. Well, because... you're the perfect guest for the Beer Bonnet podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really tied to the food. You know, it was our first time with the kitchen, and yeah, so right. um, having no experience running one of those, we yeah wanted to give ourselves as much uh, runway as possible. <laughs> yeah, let's let's dial back because it, it is kind of surprising that you would end up with uh, 
three retail outlets because if my memory serves, when you opened this, you were just going to be a production brewery and you opened that little tap room kind of as, as a lark. Is that right? No, 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 no. We always want, no, it's, it, we always intended to have a small tap room. Uh, it's important, I think, for a brewery to have a tap room. It's, it's a place for people to come experience uh, it sounds so douchey, but the brand, right? <laughs> but 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 it is, you know, like you go to a brewery, especially their main tap room, and you really get a feel for the, what the brewery's like, you know, wh- wh- right. whatever that may be, yeah. you know, um, and that's and that's important. Uh, but you're out here in in industrial southeast, yep. and you, as I recall, you didn't expect a lot of people to make it out. You had really limited <laughs> no. hours. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we based it. We talked to Alex from Upright, uh-huh. who he was the only one at that point who had a a brewery with a little tap room like we were planning to do. You know, so we had a chat with him and and kind of based our numbers on that, and also being in this industrial location, um, <laughs> which is yeah, we didn't yeah we didn't expect nearly as many people as well yeah not even close to as many people that showed our, up our projections our monetary dollars projections for sales for the first year were fifty thousand dollars in the tap room mm-hmm. and uh i think we did like nine times that or something wow. like that the first year maybe eight times something we had no idea well that's a good thing for a, a, a strong a, right. a, you know the young brewery that has i was afraid this was going to happen so we have a, a substitute uh, dog of the pod today. Do you want to introduce your dog? Bam? Oh yeah, um, my dog Hildy's here. <laughs> um, Hildy's adorable. She's ten months old, and she ate a dove today. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a joke. And uh, so I'm kind of watching her in case she vomits up an entire bird. But she looks all right. She seems fine, but she's a little. She's getting a little restless. Restless. Yeah. I, I think I'm gonna have to go put her in the crate real quick. I'll be back. Okay, we'll keep talking to Ben. Then. Yeah. Um, Come on, baby. Come on. Talk about, and, and we'll, we'll get fans to come, this when we come back, uh, kind of what you, when you guys opened the brewery, what you were thinking Gigantica would look like in yeah. 2011, 2012, as you were okay. pondering it and thinking of opening it. Yeah, I mean, we did, uh, we definitely thought of it as, uh, a, we thought of this location as a great location for a brewery, because uh, we planned to do... Uh, quite a bit of distribution and when we when we first opened then we were distributing in Oregon Washington BC and Alaska like from day one and uh, we actually shipped our first our first shipment of beer went to BC so I mean we were like we were all up the northwest uh, right away and um, it was with you know mostly with 22 ounce bottles if anybody remembers those and (laughs) right uh, right yeah big a big change when those didn't when they stopped being popular i mean yeah they were quite lucrative as they were yeah (laughs) yeah they worked out really well for yeah every brewery involved in 22 ounce bottles um and yeah and so uh you know we were doing draft in those areas as well but we were focusing in basically in like in kind of large markets so portland seattle um vancouver bc and then anchorage i went Anchorage is not a large market, but uh, <laughs> large city, larger city. Um, and then we added, man, I'd have to, I think the next city we added was Chicago. And uh, then I, eventually we added uh, California, um, kind of mostly in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. although our distributor down there does technically distribute out throughout the whole state. So there's uh, some that gets down to LA and other places. Um, we ended up in New York City, um, down in Texas, uh, Nebraska. You know, a few of those kind of came about because people were calling us asking for beer. So, and, when, so. and when you started the brewery, you actually uh, the twenty-two ounce package wasn't just an incidental thing. You sort of built your brand around it. We did, yeah. So talk about like your packaging and the the idea about the beer yeah. So stuff. like with with the brewery specifically, you know, we did gigantic IPA year round. And that was all our only year-round beer. And then everything else we did was seasonal and limited release. And so we'd basically do the beers for uh, like three months and then never repeat them. And so it was always something new. And we always had – we basically had two price points. You know, we had a uh, – what? Eight, low and high. Low and high, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's funny. It's been so long. I'm like, I think it was 5.99 and 7.99. Okay. If I remember correctly. 
or four ninety nine and seven ninety nine. It was four ninety nine and seven ninety nine. And so it was five bucks so for long. Obama. It was five bucks for Obama. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so funny. And um, yeah, so I mean, up until our fifth year, we hadn't re reproduced anything. We hadn't made anything a second time. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, we had before the fifth year, we had ginormous as like. A, well, we added some more like year-round yeah. beers but yeah, we didn't yeah. and yeah. of the seasonals we kept producing new things right. and as we grew um yeah at that time you know a lot of the seasonal beers we did it we'd be doing we have 45 barrel tanks and we'd be doing you know two yeah. uh, maybe three batches of each beer um at that time gotcha you know now we've kind of transitioned where with those seasonal beers we're pretty much doing one 45 barrel batch yeah so yeah and we used to i mean for the first couple of years, this place was an IPA factory. I mean, uh-huh. it like every Monday we would package IPA. Every Tuesday and Wednesday we would brew IPA. It was you were like the one, yeah, the like IPA, IPA, just gigantic IPA. Like yeah. we did that for three or four years, and then the, uh, you know, I don't know, the market changed or something, and uh, those kind of true flagships like just really. You know, there's just not a lot of them anymore. You know, yeah. everyone's just kind of taken a dive, with the exception of, like, Boneyard. <laughs> yeah, maybe Breakside IPA. Yeah, right. but even then, like... But Wander, they've transitioned to, like, like Wanderlust, and, and yeah. you know, yeah. so they've yeah. changed that up a bit. Another thing, too, is with those seasonal beers, we, we did everything, you know? Like, right. kind of... I mean, we didn't do every style, but kind of you name a style, and we were touching on it and doing it and selling it, and it was working out really well. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you, um, you did. I remember an early like triple or something like that. One of your first beers and oh, oh, kind of yeah. uh, petite Belgian. quad. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, petite Belgian quad. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. everyone knows what that is. Yeah, yeah, Imperial Black Saison. Yeah, um, yeah. we did Dark Metal, which was basically like our Negro Modelo. We did, yeah, we did a number of uh, Belgian beers. We had Black Bach. Kiss mm-hmm. the Goat. Black yeah, Bach. Kiss the Goat. Black Bach. That was actually one of my favorites. That was awesome. That was a good beer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that was great. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, that I also uh, wanted to point out the fact that you were always changing your labels and using mm. local artists to come up with a new uh, English not, not necessarily local. No, yeah. Oh, not local. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, we kind of, uh, so we have a buddy here in town named Matt Wagner who used to have a Hellion gallery, and he repped artists in Portland and Tokyo. Uh, okay. And then uh, one of my oldest friends, Rob Rieger, is a working artist in the Bay Area. He's he is Emily the Strange. I don't know if we've ever had a teenage daughter or whatnot, but um, but I was nodding because I thought you were going to go in a different way. (laughs) (laughs) Emily the Strange. I thought that sentence was going to end up in a different place. Oh, I have no I have no daughters, but I know Emily the Strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't. It's you know, it's just most commonly. Um, and so he knows, he knows just a ton of people too. And so between the two of those guys, um, we've just been put in touch with artists from frankly around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, we've worked with artists from obviously many places in the United States, uh, quite a few from Japan, Japan, yeah, Mexico, Germany, Austria, yeah, France, France, Portugal, Spain. Spain, yeah. Cool. Yeah, kind of all over. And you have a nice, strong logo brand that sort of will always be recognizable. Yeah, so that was like our goal was for it to be like the front of a, well, front of a magazine originally, and then it became the front of a comic, comic book. book. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, we actually had the, if you look on those early labels, there were staples on the left side. Uh-huh. And yeah, and when we had the little G up in the upper right corner, uh-huh. like, the, <laughs> like the Marvel M. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah, because <laughs> cool. it all it all went together, you know. And actually, the the aspect ratio of those twenty two ounce labels it was pretty close to uh, comic book cover. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for that main front panel. So um, you were the first brewery that uh, in Portland, I won't say in the world, uh, to do this idea of having just one flagship and then rotate through. Yeah, you can blame us. But it was a trend <laughs> that totally took off. So I'm kind of using that as a sort of a what's changed in 10 years framing device. Like what, you know, we, we've already mentioned 22s. Those don't exist anymore. Yeah, so you're not yeah. selling that business. That part of your business model shifted. Um, and now you do actually have a regular core lineup that, yeah. uh, you you know, you brew year round. So that's also changed. So talk a little bit about how. Your business has changed in those ten years. Looking at the, like thinking about it in terms of the industry, and you know what, mm-hmm. how how has Gigantic evolved in those ten years? And there's been a lot of things. I mean, the, for for me, I think the the 
there's two big changes for me that are maybe three that are very interrelated. When we started out, <clears throat> we sold a significant amount of our beer to Canada. Um, and uh, we sold as a percentage a lot more beer to like California. And there for a while we were selling beer in like a bunch of places. Mm-hmm. Chicago and Colorado and New England and just all over the place in 2013, 14. Mm-hmm. Right about there. And... Um, but, you know, when we started, there were 2,000 breweries in the country. Right. And now there's nine and a half, ten thousand 10,000-something. I don't even know. Yeah. And uh, so initially, we were selling beer all over the place. And as a result, um, uh, our export out of Oregon sales were really a, a large percentage of our sales. And a lot of that went out of bombers, like a lot of it, right? And what's happened is every other place in the country has opened a bunch of breweries, so they don't, frankly, need our beer. <laughs> right. There's good breweries everywhere now. You know, there may be higher per- ratios or percentages in certain places. I fir- Having traveled around, I firmly believe that. Um, but, you know, people still want to buy local, even, and, and a lot of people, um, not really being a jerk, but, you know, if, there are definitely places in this country where beer that's not that great is considered great because it's new to them or hometown heroes or whatever, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I've drank beer in a place in Germany where they were very proud of their beer because it tasted metallic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were just go. like, what the? Anyway, um, and uh, uh, so, so as so as that market changed, with a lot more breweries happening, our export out of Oregon dropped. That also dropped the percentage of bottle sales we were doing, right? Just package sales in general. And then those things combined with a few other things is really why we ended up opening two other tap rooms. Okay. Right. Is it's is everything? Not everything. There is a much greater focus for us on direct-to-consumer sales now than there was originally. You know, originally, again, I will reiterate, we thought we would sell $50,000 direct-to-consumer, and the majority of our thing was going to go out the back door. We still sell a lot of beer out the back door, distributed, is what I mean by that. But um, it's, it's just, it's very, very different now. It's very different. Yeah, and you opened your second tap room in the middle of COVID, which was really surprising to me. <laughs> but yeah. you weren't the only one. There were a bunch of breweries well, in Portland. Yeah, well, the thing the thing is, is I don't. Th- I think very. I highly doubt anyone between the period of say March 2020 and December 2020 sat down with their business partners or executive group or whatever you want to strategy team, whatever you want to call it, and said. Yeah. Now's the time to strike, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, let's it's, open a brewery. Yeah, yeah, or, what, or whatever, whatever. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's just the fact that you know we like we've been looking for a couple of years for what we felt was the right location, hmm. and we signed that lease in the early fall, late summer, early fall. Yeah, something like that of yeah. 2019. Mm. So it's going right. It's you know at some point early in the pandemic, I was like, I do not care about that place. We're not spending a dime on it. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And then <laughs> to-go sales and delivery sales were really good for six, eight months of the pandemic. Right? Mm-hmm. Enough. Yeah. yeah, people were coming out. They were supporting their local, you know, bars, breweries, restaurants, Absolutely. all that. So and, and it actually went pretty well. I yeah, guess. yeah. And, and what we realized that that location, that 70th and Gleason location, was a very different part of town. And that it was basically just another node for direct-to-consumer sales. Right. That's what it was. Yeah. Right? So, so it made sense. For those who don't, aren't familiar with Portland, um, if you consider downtown, like the, the center of the bullseye, the uh, brewery we're sitting at, the original brewery, is south of downtown on the east side um, in a kind of industrial tract. We're at like 530 mm-hmm. on the clock. Okay, 530. Right? Good call. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, the Gleason uh, Is it like 230? But but pretty far out. But pretty far out. Really, yeah. reasonably far out. Yeah, into Portland. Mm-hmm. When, when did when did the city of Portland finally go out past uh, two hundred five the freeway? Like in the late eighties. 
Yeah. I mean, I yeah. Oh, yeah, because it was just an unincorporated. It was area. unincorporated yeah, Multnomah yeah, County, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so in oh, the in the. I always called it East County. I never. Yeah, totally. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So, um, so in the early '80s, the location that we, the second location we opened up, was about. 15 blocks from what would have been the edge of Portland at yep, the time. Right. You know what I mean? So wow. And this location is like... We're a mile from about, Milwaukee. Yeah, exactly. This is like... Pretty far south. Deep southeast. Yeah, we're deep uh, southeast. You know, we're beyond the bar that used to be called the pub at the end of the universe. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're farther away. We're further we're than beyond the end. the end of the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Hey, I never thought about that. That's pretty yeah. good. However, the, uh, the place that you just opened up is not far out it's actually kind of right in this the heart of things like it's it would uh for the last 30 years or something have been considered one of the most important um commercial commercial areas areas on the east side of portland on hawthorne boulevard which is like i guess three o'clock three o'clock yeah Mm -hmm. directly you drive due uh east from downtown and and not very far unlike the other two yeah more centrally located yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well i was gonna say kind of like opening up a tap room in covid Deciding to finally get into the restaurant business in this labor market must be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I, you know, it's, it's funny for me because I thought, I thought it would be a little different for us. I don't know why. I, you know, I was like, oh, we have, you know, have a good reputation as far as brewery goes. And um, we have... The- we, we have a good reputation as far as brewery goes. And amongst uh, bar staff, yeah. so, it, so. It, is, it is known... That we're a good place to work, mm-hmm. but we don't have any ki- like kitchen people that I just yeah. Like, anyway, no, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was gonna go. With may it. not yeah. be known among cooks, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because sure. we don't have a kitchen. Yeah, exactly. So I, so yeah, as far as I, I mean, things went well on on Gleason, which is why we decided to look for a third location. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've we've always it's kind of funny we've always looked um, all around the Portland metro area. Yeah. You know, I mean, including so many other people who ended up in Beaverton. We looked in Beaverton. Wow. Yeah, but totally. didn't end up and there. We, yeah, at we, some of those locations that other people have opened up. What's the farthest south that we didn't really? I mean, we contemplated way down Oregon City. There's um, some places down there. Pretty. Yeah, close Oregon out. City and out in Hillsboro. Oh yeah, uh, Tiger Twalton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, wow. yeah. We looked over there as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, really, I kind of all, that one almost came together, and then we that one came really close. You've spent a lot of time in in different bars. Uh, I love. What are, you, what are you trying to say about it? I'm just saying that. <laughs> oh know. no, I'm not. I'm not afraid to say. It. I love the bar. I love the no, bar. no. Just, just, <laughs> that, just that you you care about the the you know the communal uh, drinking of, of beer in a in a space. Mm. Even can though I, can I tell a story? Yeah, please. Yeah, that's that's what you're here for. Okay, so I'll make this as quickly as possible my wife emily and i were in japan with our friends ann and jason and uh jason bless his soul is a wonderful caring amazing person and he's he's kind of paranoid he's like a very serious black belt in a very aggressive form of kung fu he can kick the out of anybody but like if there are two teenage boys walking down the street he's like let's cross the street he just he's he's like I, don't ever get involved. The number one rule. Of Friday, <laughs> don't get involved. Right? So so the ladies want to do some. Sh- we're in Shinjuku, you know, the big where like the big crossing is, you know, like in Lost in Translation and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ladies want to do some shopping, and I look at Jason. I'm like, let's go find a let's go find one of these bars that are on the top of like the uh, department stores. He's like, what a great idea. Turns out the restaurant, so we get shot down. So I was like, ah, oh, let's walk around the station. We'll find a bar to go to. And so we walk around. And there's a place uh, in Shinjuku Station, or outside Shinjuku Station, called, I can't remember the name, it's one of the Yokochos, mm. alley. It's Piss Alley is what it's called. And it's like the last of the big, huge, great Tokyo alleys. So these are places, they're not necessarily one, like Piss Alley's like four or five alleys wide, a warren of bars that literally seat eight people, six people, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, you look up there and there's all the red lanterns and all that. And it looks all romantic and stuff. And Jason's like, we should go up there. And I'm just like, holy shit. Jason wants to, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be great. We're going to go to a bar. And long story short, <laughs> this super drunk, like 55-year-old guy. Are you American? Yeah, buddy, we are. We should get a drink. Okay. And at first, Jason's like, yeah. And then he's like, let's go. Blah, blah. These guys hammered. He's talking. And suddenly, Jason's inherent 
nervousness gets the better of him. Right. And suddenly he's like, I don't know, man, this guy seems sketchy. And I'm like, Jason, look at him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking I can kick the shit out of this guy, no problem. I don't want to know what you do to him, right? Right, right. And long story short, Jason, like, basically suddenly like, we're supposed to meet the girls. We got to meet our wives. Oh, uh, look, the time. We got to go. And I was like, we have time for a beer. And Jason bails. I end up having a couple beers with this guy. Right. Jason goes back, sees Ann and Emily. And they're like, where's Van? I don't know. He met some crazy drunk guy, blah, blah, blah. It was, seemed really sketchy, blah, blah, blah. And Emily's <laughs> like, what happened? What happened? Wait, where did he go? And then Jason, Jason says, he went, Van went to go to a bar to have a drink with the guy. And Emily said, oh. Van went to a bar to have a drink. He'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's, yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly the kind of experience you guys have. And you've done a great job in the Champagne Lounge here, replicating it at the robot room. And now you're, you're, you're third place. You, you really are, like, you bring all that experience of knowing what a good bar is like mm-hmm. in, yeah. into informing Hopefully. this place. Yeah. So it's, it's, talk, all kind of, it's all yeah, kind of organic, yeah. you know? Like, we mm-hmm. kind of lay it out and then it sort of develops itself yeah we slowly add things to it yeah, yeah. people but, will slowly bring things yeah. to it we but look it, at it and figure out what yeah what yeah needs. that's yeah. that's how a good mm-hmm. bar is built right it's like yeah. it's, it's a communal ec- uh enterprise mm-hmm. and you have to have the locals well like, that jeff help. and and three things yes and and please please tell me the three things well a, a, well a good brewery tap room needs taxidermy a bladed weapon and a firearm. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just obvious. See, this is that kind of innate uh, understanding, deep understanding yeah. of, of bars I'm talking about. <laughs> so here yeah. you have... We have a Winchester 3030, an homage to Shaun of the Dead. Uh-huh. We have a... Technically, it's a Havelina head, but we're going to tell you it's a boar's head. <laughs> in homage to Henry Weinhardt's yeah. Blue Boar brand. Blue Boar brand. Mm-hmm. Ale. Ale, quote unquote, ale. Classic. We all drink a lot. Can I quote it? We know of no ale made anywhere that compares to Weinhardt's Irish style in terms of smoothness, flavor, and consistent high standards of quality. Far out. Very good. That is bottom of the level. Blue Boar was Irish style? Yeah. Yes. It was. It was. was, In in quotes, it was Irish style and ale. I think it was neither. Yeah. 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 It was just fermented really hot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the bladed weapon is typically an axe for timbers. Gotcha. Okay. Although, although we have two of the three elements at Hawthorne. We have not chosen a firearm yet. Yeah. Oh, you have. It's been a tough choice. You're, yeah. Uh, uh, one of our one chefs. Of one of our chefs has an amazing set of samurai swords. I'm sure they're totally <laughs> legit from the Edo period. I'm sure. Yeah, they seem a little dangerous. They're right behind the bar. They're really yeah. easy yeah, to yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna put a shelf above a window so that they're harder to get to. Yeah. Just like we have the, <laughs> just like we have the honest to god say... real Winchester thirty thirty bolted to yeah. the wall like right. twenty feet up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No shells in the house. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, them shells. <laughs> the uh, yeah, and that that sword, or the whole sword set. I mean, I'm not gonna say that it's dull. But it's not the sharpest. That's good. We so, can work on that. Yeah, we can work on that. We have a we have a sharpener. We have a, yeah, a sharpener. Yeah, exactly. And then and then uh, in homage to its previous incant- incarnation as the fish house, mm-hmm. we found a prize walleye. <laughs> Taxidermy. <laughs> it's a beauty caught on Lake Malax up there, up north of the cities there. Nice. In 1967, I believe, oh. in December, which means ice fishing. Yep. Yeah, that, that yep. definitely does. 12 pounds, 12 ounces. That's 12 and three quarter pound of what my dad will tell you is the smartest fish in the world. <laughs> Walleye. They're impossible to catch, man. Soon as they get a bite, they know they swim around the boat and they tangle all the lines. They're, impo- they're impossible to catch. Then, Dad, why do people catch them and eat them all the time? They're impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll come back around to the gun. But uh, let's go back to the bar and the bar food, which is, I think, the most interesting thing. And your friend, um, Jason? Uh, Justin. Justin. Yeah. So close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how did you, you, so you, you, let, let's set it up a little bit. You, mm-hmm. you buy a place with a kitchen. Yeah. So now you, now your hand is forced. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Pretty much. Yeah. That's uh, totally was the thing. And that, yeah. And as far as like setting up the kitchen, I had a lot of, yeah. So my friend, Justin, uh, Wills, he, we met at the Pelican, 
uh, when I was brewing there, and he was the executive chef uh, back in like 2004 to 2007. We've been friends ever since, and he owns uh, Restaurant Beck in Depot Bay and Sorella in Nye Beach. And yeah, so I mean, it was one of those things. I have I like to cook at home, but I have no idea. I have no like concept of setting up a kitchen or, or kitchen equipment, like what's good and what's bad. And um, so, yeah, luckily I had him and uh, he was able to come up and take a look at our kitchen. And we were able to talk about, you know, kind of the menu that we had planned and um, yeah, and, and, and kind of set that whole thing up, uh, get it all ready to go, which uh, I was pretty happy when we finally got around to hiring our kitchen manager, Jeremiah, that, you know, he really he liked the setup. <laughs> which which was nice good you know because the whole time good. i'm like you know I, you know justin's telling me this is good i think it looks good but i guess we'll see right um yeah and then as far as the menu goes you know uh, i think the the way it went down was originally van was like when we knew we had the kitchen van was like we need to do uh toppings with or sorry tots with toppings <laughs> And so it started. I think that was the first thing. Is you were like, you're like, we need to do yeah. like tachos. We yeah. need to do. And we, we've, uh, we've barely touched on that. Yeah, we as have, far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, we have like five options right now. Barely so. touched on. So we've not we have not addressed tots Benedict. Yeah. <laughs> you laugh. How amazing would that be? English breakfast tots. We haven't done okonomiyaki tots. Yeah. So yeah, there's bar- a whole range. We have, yeah, I, yeah, so I have a list like, of like 10 different tots, yeah, tot totally, options. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Vindaloo tots. Uh, <laughs> Vindaloo tots. Yeah, right? Nice. Yeah. Ooh. Is it good? Flaming uh, Vindaloo. Uh, flaming Vindaloo. Tot- yeah. Oh, that's good. Flaming Cheetos tots. Uh-huh. Oh, tot- tikka People masala. have been known to make that. Yeah, exactly. There's tot- so many masala? ways you can go with it. Yeah, it's true. Ooh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a canvas upon which you can. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the world's so cuisine. many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. So uh, we currently have five options. We got the, the cheesy as fuck, the tachos, uh, let's see, the uh, General So's tots, some barbecue tots, and what am I missing? Um, there's one more tot that I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Oh, buffalo tots, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but the more exotic stuff yes. is not tots. Yeah, so. And it's pretty interesting stuff. So yeah, guys- so it started with uh, the Flescaste sandwich. Or Fleskestai sandwich, and uh, which is a Danish pork sandwich that we had had a number of times in Copenhagen, and and both of us love it. And so it's, the, it's Copenhagen is famous for its food now, you know, Noma mm-hmm, and all sure, that, sure. all those chefs and stuff. The only place I make sure to eat when I'm there is the Ista Grill, which basically makes Fleskestai sandwiches yeah. and some other shit. I'm just like whatever, fancy food, Fleskestai. <laughs> awesome yeah so it's a uh it's a pork loin so uh skin on pork loin that gets roasted until that skin gets really crispy you get that nice crackling and then it gets uh, sliced into about quarter inch thick slices and that gets uh, cooked on a flat top it's caramelized again on both sides and then it goes on a uh, we're doing it on a brioche bun it goes on a pretty simple bun france brioche uh, with Danish remoulade, which has a number of things in it, but including like a hint of curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we make our own uh, house Danish dill pickles mm-hmm. and then braised red cabbage. And so, yeah, so it's one of those, I mean, it, yeah, it's like, it's rich. Yeah, it's got, mostly it's, rich, but it has yeah, those it's, nice. It's got the, some the acid from the pickles. From the it's got some pickles, fat. Yeah. It's got mm-hmm. some sweet from the bread. The crackling is incredible. Got cr- it's got crunch, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's I, kind of multiple. As you're eating it, yeah, there's multiple layers to it. I was kind of good food good. dish, you know. I'm curious how how people are responding to it since it's a little bit of an exotic uh, item. Yeah, I mean, people. Most people who've had it have really liked it, you know. Um, and actually, the one week came by when we did a little press thing which uh-huh. you were at Jeff yeah. and Willamette Week wrote it up as their favorite item and it's actually been on their uh, like top five list of foods right. to check out the past right. two weeks right. yeah. Food so, I saw it yeah. on my Twitter feed yeah. Yeah. it popped up which is exciting for us because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that's you know we were hoping to yeah, I mean there we're planning we're gonna have speaking of like you know decorating the, the and tap room and everything and ridiculousness we're planning we're currently working on a sign that's going to go over the the pass from the kitchen and large sign that says home of Portland's best Fleska stay sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But it's also to drive yes. that conversation. So people are uh, like, because right. they'll see it on the menu and they'll be like, what is this? They see the sign and they're like, yeah. what is that? Clearly yeah. I must have that. So, yeah. And do, it's also true. Like every, if you if you serve yeah. anything, you should say it's the best, right? Like that. <laughs> right, yeah. But this is clearly yeah. true. It is clearly yes. true. This is in this Portland's in this best Fleska stay sandwich. <laughs> yeah. 
Period. Asterisk only. But doesn't matter. That's for like sports statisticians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and like the record book or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So the the Fleskistai, am I saying that right? Yep. Yeah. Is not my favorite. Yeah. My favorite is your incredible chicken. Ah, that, yeah. that chicken is yeah. really Rugged. good. Yeah. So yeah. what's the story with that? And it's it seems like the so when when I went to the thing, uh, the media thing, mm-hmm. I didn't hear this or didn't absorb it or something. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like the the batter has some kind of herbal preparation or something. Yeah. So so it's a um, uh, karaage. I'm pronouncing it that way not because I'm a douche, but because <laughs> <laughs> when when. Uh, Fuji the Hood was here this year, mm-hmm. so we had all the Japanese brewers come over, and I was excited about our new restaurant. I'm like, yeah, we're going to have karage, and they're just like, what? And I'm like, <laughs> karage, and, and I'm like, you know, fried chicken, and they're like, oh, karage. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, you have to say every bit ah, of yeah, Japanese yeah. word, since totally, it's K-A-R-A-A-G-E. Yeah. Kara. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, anyways, the uh, yeah, so it starts out uh, with uh, skin on chicken thigh. And, and that's gets, part of it, like chicken thigh, right? Yeah, Everyone's yeah. like, and skin on his breast. Well. No, 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 no. Yeah. Thigh. Thigh, thigh. Yeah, and that skin, was, and skin. which is, yeah, just that Helps a lot great flavor too. and richness yeah, and, and moisture. Fat, right? Yeah, totally. And especially a thigh. You can almost, you can't, yeah. I love kicking chicken thighs at home because you kind of can't overcook them. Right. You know, um, they always come out great. But this one, uh, you know, we were marinating it. Normally you'd marinate it in uh, soy. We're doing it in tamari. So it's uh, gluten-free. And then uh, garlic and ginger. So it gets marinated in that. And then it's breaded in uh, potato starch and rice flour. Uh, again, gluten-free, but it's also, that's very traditional. That's, yeah, that's right. And um, and then, yeah, and then, and then it's, uh, well, and there's also, you know, some salt and, you know, magic seasoning and stuff in there. And, uh, yeah, and then it's just getting deep fried. It comes on the, so you have the sandwich. So we have it both as an appetizer. You can get um, just the chicken on its own but, uh, or as a sandwich. And both preparations come with uh, uh, yuzu kosho mayo. So, uh, you know, it's mayonnaise with a uh, little yuzu juice and then yuzu kosho, which is yuzu peel and chilies that gets uh, chopped up together. Um, it's one of those things, uh, it's kind of, I feel like, at least here, you know, over the past, I don't know, four years or something, it's kind of rose into prominence in some kitchens and stuff uh, in the Portland area, which is how I learned about it. Right. And um, yeah, then we have a rice wine pickle, so house-made rice wine pickle. Uh, some lettuce and tomato on that sandwich, yeah. And again, that that Franz brioche bun, which is just yeah, delicious and yeah, yeah. just the right amount of hearty. All right. Yeah, and, and some sweet, right? Cause mm, and some sweet. sweet, yeah, totally. Before we get too far afield, we should talk a little bit about beer since we're a brewery and we're we're all drinking a beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Tell us about what we're drinking. The beer is the cat ate my stash and pissed on the Christmas tree, right. <laughs> which is a gigantic classic. Yeah, uh, at this point it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's uh, our holiday treat. Our holiday. It's our, it's our holiday standard. Yeah. And I guess we don't really have to talk about what it tastes like since this description is sort of right there. In the yeah, it's just, it's just it's really catty. I mean, it's it's a quote. It's a quote. The name is a quote from John Mallet, who's the brewmaster at Bell's, and I've been a friend of John's for twenty something years. We were both brewing in the Mid Atlantic together. And it was at one of the craft brewers conferences he was giving a talk and he said that, you know, who, who would have known 10 years ago that all the hops we wanted are the ones that smell like the cat ate my stash and pissed on the Christmas tree. <laughs> and I was instantly I'm like, mm-hmm, write that down. And then the first year we made it, it's great. We, uh, we sent John a six pack to his house. And then I got a call on Christmas. It's pretty funny. This beer's pretty good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, and he's, mm-hmm. he's like, man, this beer's pretty good. He's like, the name, he's, he's like, ah, he's like, I knew that someone was going to do something. He's like, I'm glad it was you. It's pretty funny. <laughs> well, it's very appropriate for the Northwest because these are our hops, and they, yeah. they have an old school taste. And the interesting thing is it seems like we're kind of coming back around to this flavor palette. I'm noticing mm-hmm. a lot yeah. more citrus, yeah. cat, yeah. pine. Yeah, pine. Yeah. 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 Bitterness is coming back up Bitterness again a little bit. Yeah. yeah, thank God. Not the crazy hundred IBU, but still. Right. <laughs> no, just, just. But it's coming back to a some. Yes. Right. Yeah. Some. Mm-hmm. I mean, a more pronounced level. Yeah, I mean, I think realistically, mm-hmm. in terms of perceived—that's a very important word—bitterness mm-hmm. on an IPA. If your IPA is in the seven-ish percent range, I'll take that from six and a quarter to seven and three quarter. 
Um, I, I think that you want a perceived bitterness of somewhere around 45 to 50 BUs. It's not too much mm-hmm. at, at all. Right. Um, it's just it's just a balance, and that helps dry the beer out and it makes it drinkable. You know, yeah. you like those stupid, man. Some of those early two thousands beers where people were like, "It's 120 BUs," and it just like the bitterness just crawled down the back of your throat. Like, what do you do? This is terrible. Yeah, yeah and, and then it, the same thing with like the the really ultra modern beers. I'll just call them. Where they're like zero IBUs, and you're like, okay, there's no such thing. Read a book. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, there's no such thing. Read an article. Um, uh, but there just there just isn't enough. Those beers are just cloying to me. I have a very hard time drinking them. This beer though does um, differ from those two thousand beers in the sense that they were not oh. made with uh, emphasis on. Uh, the aromatics, like no, 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 I'm not saying it's like those, I'm just saying like those, those beers I think were often over bitter. Totally. Yeah, and you get the, with this one you get the mosaic across the tongue, which is more pronounced than it would have been back then. Right. Yeah. When, when it didn't Well, mosaic didn't exist, but also like you, we wouldn't use hops in that way. Right. You know? Totally. Yeah. So. You caught me. Yeah. Sorry. We, we attract a, a wide variety of pedants out there. And so if, if, I didn't, if I didn't say it, somebody listening would have said, mosaics didn't exist then. So. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's a given. Uh, I've self-described myself as pedantic. Exactly. In oh, some man. of your media. Yeah, no, uh, pedants are my favorite people. I'm very pedantic. I, Thank God. Yeah, yes. we, we, cater, we cater to pedants. We have yes. a, a, a professor of economics. I mean, come on. It's yeah, kind of there's, a, there's a lot of here. pushing eye, eyeglasses up noses. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. saying, me over here with the eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I have one more question going out, but um, oh. you have one too. I've been asking no. all the questions. No, no, no. I'm just curious, you know, uh, thinking over the scope of those 10 years, um, you know, we're drinking this beer that is sort of a time, I'm going to call it a timeless Northwest kind of beer. But yeah, uh, yeah. And, and it's great that you can still make it. I'm just wondering, how, what do you think about how beer has evolved in your 10 years? And what do you, how are you feeling about where it is now? What do you guys make now that you didn't make then? Like, I don't know how you want to approach that. But what, what's changed in the way that people drink beer and what kind of beer they want? What do you guys make? I'll, I'll tell you from, I can give you a really great, very gigantic, specific example of how things have changed. When we built this brewery, we built it with a hop back because we intended and we still do only use whole hops in the brew house. But, you know, we did that not just to be like, you know, pedantic about, you know, fresh they're better. Uh, not that. We did that for hop selection reasons. And because at the time, it was still the case that the vast majority of hops you were using would have been in the brew house. Uh, and whatnot. Well, that's that's just no longer the case anymore. You know, we use a lot more pellet sure. than than we do anything else, and that's only for for uh, the seller side, from the fermenter side. And that really sums up to me what has happened in American craft beer in the last ten years. Really, this move towards uh, uh, really extreme aromatics. I don't really think hop flavor. I still believe there's a difference between hop flavor and, and hop aromatics. Um, I don't really think hop flavor has changed, but the aromatics have changed radically, and that's all done dry hopping for the most part. Some weird exceptions, which we don't need to get into. Um, uh, and that, and that's really what you see is, is what's changed. You know, I mean, for me, and Ben can disagree or agree or whatnot. I. I hate to be a, you know, sort of a party pooper or whatnot. I don't really know if beer is going to make any significant changes in the next five to ten years. I don't believe that innovation is a continuous process. I believe that innovation happens in fits and starts. And we have, you know, we had a large period of innovation in American brewing in late 80s, basically the 90s. It was a little stagnant in the 2000s, and then really due to some new hop development and new ways of using hops, we've had a huge, massive change in what we do. Sure, there's been some things with putting funny stuff in beer or 
souring, sure. Let's face it, it's a very small part of the market. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything else happening. I mean, I, I don't think there's a next IPA. I especially don't think there's a next IPA that isn't an IPA already. Right. Um, I think that's ludicrous. It was ludicrous when people talked about it eight years ago. It's more ludicrous now. Um, I, I think you kind of... I think we've made. I think we, as American brewers, have made our contribution to beer culture, and it's been a huge and an important one. And I think we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's anything else important that's going to happen. It, it maybe it could be in five years, ten years. It could be fifty years from now that something important happens again. So that's one for the the readers to or listeners to. Yeah, our, yeah, that, you can. Real, that's a real. Uh, you can totally disagree with that's me. That's a hook. I, you guys should respond. Yeah, to we'll, you, we'll, you we'll can disagree with me. It's fine. I just don't. I just don't see it. I, I just I, don't know what there would be. I personally but, think you're probably more right than wrong on this one. So yeah. I, I would back your. I would back Especially your when you look at things like some of the most exciting things that have happened recently. Things like um, Kvike or. Uh, uh, Crispering or sure. genetic GMO. development, GMOing of yeast strains. Mm-hmm. What is all that shit aimed at? It's all aimed at hop flavor. Totally, it's right. the same. <laughs> shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't matter. All the, the GMO hop shit is just like thialized. Let's. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but let's make things happier. You know, like that's mm-hmm. not. But it's all yeah. focused on the same thing. It's all focused on the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have some differing views? <laughs> different views. I don't know about that. I mean, um, for me, I. I'd more say, you know, you're asking about the differences, you know, from when we opened and stuff and like to now and how things have changed. And, and I mean, the biggest thing that I've noticed is that, you know, like I was talking about all the different styles that we made, you know, that we used to make. And we still make um, a variety of styles, you know, um, but for the most part, if we're going to brew something that's outside of an IPA, um, Pilsner has grown, which is nice. You know, we're doing more of that. We're brewing quite a bit of Kolsch these days as well, which is good. Um, yeah, we brew kind of a lot of Kolsch. Mm-hmm. Nice. And yeah, which is fantastic. You yeah. know, um, but like if we uh, if we do some more of the obscure styles, um, well, now obscure styles, you know, something Belgian, uh, something yeah. that's outside of. Uh, we just brewed a Czech Dark Lager, but this st- conversation started with Schwartz beer, and we were like, eh, is anybody going to buy Schwartz beer? You know, um, that I guess the way I look at it, it seems like when we first got this brewery going, we could kind of brew whatever we wanted and people were going to buy it, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, we'll yeah. sell different amounts of different beers. Some will sell better than others, but still like for the most part, we could brew 45, at least 45 barrels of, uh, Saison or whatever. Petite Belgian Croix. <laughs> or Petite Belgian Croix. That's a great example. Black Saison, like all these Black things. Black Saison is a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. That's a great example. And we, we sold through it. It sold great. People were excited yeah. about it. You know, if we did that today, if we brewed 45 barrels, we'd be sitting on it for three years, you know, <laughs> yeah. like we could at do at least not realistically nine months. Yeah. Realistically Real, nine months, but yeah. you know, that's a long but time. If we'd probably, we'd brew 15 barrels of it and we'd still take we'd us kinda, two months. To yeah. Start. At least. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. It's crazy. So, I mean, like that's one of the biggest things is that I yeah. feel like we've transitioned from, from brewers sitting around and being like, Hey, what do I want to drink? What do I want to make yeah. to being like, all right. What do I want to drink and make that also people are going to buy? (laughs) You know, it's totally transitioned. And it's what's interesting about it for me is that, yeah, there's a a lot more breweries. There's also, I would think, more beer drinkers as well. And so you would think there would be larger markets for the ability for you to do 15 barrels of something obscure like that and that it would sell no problem. And um, and I, I do talk to some breweries that that don't have quite the same well that do a decent job selling those beers but i would say also they do a decent job selling it it's yeah. not it's far and away it's not what they do right you well, know i mean yeah look at omegon right mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you don't need to say anything else yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. but you think beer drinkers are less adventurous in general they have more variety across breweries now maybe they need that yeah, and I guess I, six different IPAs. I, from- I think I think we would say they're less adventurous. Yeah. I would think beer drinkers would disagree. Yeah, yeah, because they're trying Be- all these different because IPAs because and- yeah, from their point of view at the bar. Right. Oh, I've already had that one. Yeah. yeah, I need something new, and you're like, I'm really glad you like gambling. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not gonna hate on anybody for that because yeah. like like. I, same thing happens to me with beers. You know, when I got into this industry, yeah. I was all about drinking big IPAs. You know, I was so excited to work at Pelican because, like, they were making one of the biggest IPAs 
that I knew of in 2004. Right. You know, and then now I drink, I pretty much drink our Pilsner, you know, <laughs> and I'm so excited to have that, you know, and I love it. Um, and uh, yeah, I was going to say, on you know, I used to drink bourbon and now I don't drink bourbon. I drink mezcal, you know, like taste change. It's understandable. And I, I honestly, I don't, I don't hate on anybody for not drinking Belgian style beers anymore. No. You know, I remember. I don't, I, don't I, don't drink, I used to love them. I'm just sort of like, <laughs> yeah, right. Certainly, yeah, there's a certain time and place, but none of yeah. us, I think you'll have one and you're like, that was great. Um, and by one, you mean like five or six ounces. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like, you know, it depends on the beer. It's, it's basically yeah. time for everyone to drink a Vec. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we open a bottle of Vec, I'd be like, awesome. I love a Vec. And I would want to drink maybe 10 ounces. Yeah. And then I'd be like, that was great. That Vec is great. Right. But I don't want it tomorrow. All right. You may have noticed that was an awkward, uh, we just wandered away from the There was nothing awkward. It we was going I, right into part two. Well, we went right into part two, and I forgot to thank them for the kind of... But that would have sounded the, artificial the, and crazy and weird. And the, the appropriate way you, you would yeah. end a normal interview, which we didn't do, so I apologize for that. And... I think it's important to mention that uh, we forgot to mention, we forgot to interrogate their new cask program. That was a big failing. Yes. I, however, am without fault because I didn't know. You, however, are completely at fault because you knew and forgot to ask them. I'm not sure that we needed to go into the whole apportioning of blame on air. But oh, okay. yes, I think that was important. <laughs> That's very important. We should be clear about who's the professional here and who's the amateur. Excellent. Well, they, they've always, apparently they've always done cask, uh, they have they have pins, and they put a pin up on the on the uh, bar every Friday night, and it's something they've always done, but they wanted to get into cask production more seriously, and so they bought uh, two engines, and they have this series of pins, and they're going to uh, be putting, like, kind of their classic favorites, LP Stout, Sassy Pony, but they're also going to start brewing um, regular beer, regular beer cask only beer so That's i'm really nice. excited about that and we should we should just interject the one little tidbit that we learned off air which was uh that they're they're having to lean hard on the cask uh because they're still waiting from the city of portland for the permit not for the kitchen which is running not for the bar which is running not for the whole establishment everything's fine but the cooler yeah there's some like engineering permit they need for the cooler so they can't use their cooler right now which is, Which is insane. insane. They've been, been waiting five weeks just to get a permit, an engineering permit for the cooler. So. Yeah. So there's uh, only four. When, uh, small business people, other range. brewers probably, rec- probably recognize this. But apparently people complain about Portland especially. And I wonder how much that's true, but I believe it because Portland can be really bad. It's terrible. Thing. And it's not. The, the city's Mosca, ma, ma, uh, motto is the city that works. And everybody... Uh, regards that as a grim joke. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that that's causing them to lean hard into cask. Okay, let's yeah. let's switch. While for the time we have left, let's talk a little mailbag, Jeff. Yep. Because uh, next week's podcast, which is part two, is even longer, and we'll have even less time for the mailbag. So we got to do it now. <laughs> okay, let's go. All right. Uh, you want to do the first one, or should I? Uh, I'll dive in. I don't know what it is. So okay. let's talk about Scott Delone. Uh, Scott Delone has three points. Yes. So uh, we're going to split these up. First is loved hearing about some about some sustainability and brewing on the last pod. So that was we talked. Somebody else had written in and said we should talk about sustainability, and we're getting hosannas from many quarters on that front. So I guess we're just going to have to do that podcast. Yeah, we probably should. Yeah. Uh, my mind immediately goes to uh, Hopworks, which for years and years and years have really focused on sustainability. Yeah, there are there are breweries out there that do it, so we have a lot of fertile ground yeah. to, uh, to till. So Scott says, I immediately thought about Maine Beer Company, and then they posted this, a note about their new carbon capture machine, which goes back to an earlier pod about the carbon dioxide shortage, so I had to pass it along. Yeah. So they, they, they installed one of those weird things that captures the fermenting, the carbon dioxide off the fermenter. That's... So. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, it just happened. So, but Scott, it makes sense Scott that Scott main, main so. beer would do that. Yeah, do what's right. And then finally, on a separate note, I was at a beer store a few weeks ago and saw a single bottom of Adam by Hair of the Dog. Oh, rest in peace, Hair of the Dog. Yeah. Uh, after, after hearing about them and their closing from the pod, I had to grab it. Good, good for you, Scott. Yep. That was the right thing to do. Not sure of the bottle date, but I plan to crack it open sometime around the holidays. So thanks for telling me about it. Adam is an all-time 
and it's it ages it ages really well, so it doesn't actually matter how old it, it does, is. Yeah. It's a dark beer, and it's got some smokiness, so it's going to cover up any kind of oxidation really well. And it'll actually that oxidation will make it a little plumier and a little richer, so yeah. it's going to be fun. Adam is a fr- uh, has made frequent. Uh, uh, appearances at your holiday party. That's true. Uh, and may do so again this Saturday. That's right. You, the listener is not invited. <laughs> <laughs> so I put no, no. But I, I sent that to put you on the spot. Excellent. So let's. Uh, well, Jeff. Uh, uh, side note: Jeff usually raids his uh, beer cellar, which is quite voluminous, as you might imagine. Getting getting scarcer as the years go by. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. Well, brewers aren't making those big beers anymore. Well, and I'm not throwing them down there as much as I used to. So. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. you're going to have to go out with a, with a bang. All right. We have a, an, a, our second piece is from John Newman, and it's a follow-up. And you may remember that uh, we had a – John John wrote us and, and asked. He had an uh, old half-rack of uh, Blitz Weinhard, and yes. he thought it was maybe 20, 25 years old, and he wondered if it was safe to drink. Well, and we said, of course. Safe uh, to drink. It's going to be terrible, but it's going to be safe. You won't die. So, Enjoyable no, safe yes. Yeah, exactly. So um, he, he writes with uh, a report. I'm the person to ask you and Patrick if it was a good idea to try a beer that was potentially 30 plus years old. You guys said it was safe, but would probably not be the best beer I ever had. I decided to go ahead and give out four ounce samples to two other beer fans this fall. I want to point out that the other two drinkers, although well-versed in Portland's beer scene, were under 35 years old and hadn't even heard of Blitzwein Hard, <laughs> nor did they care when I tried to explain. <laughs> That's perfect. Silly young people. Yes. Uh, so with the first sample, they both emptied their glasses on the grass. The taste was awful, a combination <laughs> of cider and vinegar. I worked through mine based on the historical place Blitz has in Portland. Yeah. That's, predictable. Yes. <laughs> I think we told the story of being in a really old brewery in England and finding this entire really old bottle and opening it up. And uh, the experience was memorable, but not enjoyable. Right. So, because there's vinegar present, I'm I'm wondering if it's possible. It's po- I think it's possible that the bottle uh, may have had some oxygen ingress, which oh, might have might have fed for sure something. So there's no way that seal maintains over those years. Yeah, but it wasn't. It was vinegar, so there was some kind of bacterial activity in there. So yeah. anyway, I don't know. But yeah, that, you you find that stuff. But, but it's, it's but but John, good for you. Exactly. That you should have done that. And, and thank you for exposing your your guest to. They should know more about the Portland beer scene anyway. That's and right. now they know. And you had this fun experience yeah. or interesting experience. <laughs> it, it, exactly. What have you done to me on this last? Yeah, uh, so this came via Instagram, and I think it's like kitten but with a J. I think that's oh, how yeah. that all. I see. It's yeah. all one word. I know. Uh, okay. You don't have to read that first sentence. I just Thank you. put the whole thing in there. All right, uh, uh, like kidding, but with a J, right? Yes, yes. from the internet. <laughs> Jeff, lo- Jeff, love the pod. What about Patrick? I, that's why you didn't have to read it, but you do. Man. They, uh, know, they know you're never going to respond to emails or look at that damn account. And your so. written work as well. Okay, that is Jeff. That's yeah, well, that is yeah. Was wondering the other day whilst standing around John's Marketplace. Oh, a local. Yeah. What do grocery and bottle shops do with all the old beers? <laughs> Uh, and you were in John's Marketplace, which yeah. is the perfect place to ask that. It really is, because I got a lot of it. Especially in today's, today's world of one-offs and constant new releases. Perhaps a good micro-topic or mailbag item. Yes, yeah. good mailbag item. We're taking it on. Indeed. Uh, if you're John's Marketplace, you just keep it on the shelf. That's right. You just, you <laughs> you just, just wait ha- and wait. Hang on to it until it Eventually, it's going to sell. Which is not the right thing to do. Normally... And it is a word of caution for people who go to beer stores. Yeah. Which is, luckily these days, most beers come with some kind of package date or sell-by date. Uh-huh. And you should look at them. You definitely should. And some, you know, like if you buy an Atom, you should look, you can consult the, uh, the date just to see, you know, what you, how old it might be. But um, it's not going to dissuade you from buying it. But if you're buying a Blitzwein Hard, you don't want to buy a really old beer. So it's like a matter of what beer. And a lot of the imports, and this is the thing I have with John's Marketplace in particular, like I like English beers, and so right. I'll go and get English imports. Your sweet 3.8% exactly. uh, beer. They don't have a long shelf life. No. And so you really have to be careful. You know, you go get a Fuller's London Pride, for example, which is something we mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, you don't want to see that very old because it won't be any good. The answer to your question... Uh, like kitten is uh, it's the it's actually the distributor's responsibility to pull old product off the shelves 
but some distributors don't do that, and uh, then it also is the retail. If the retailer is allowing old beer to sit on their shelves, they're also partly responsible. It is not the brewery's fault because the brewer has to actually sell their beer to the wholesaler. Yeah, they lose and control as soon as it leaves their dock. That's loaded right. Dock. Yeah. And you're always going to blame the brewer because they're the bottle. They yeah. made the bottle that you got that's old and outdated, but it's actually a problem with the distributor if, if you find those. Things. Yeah, and so. it drives brewers crazy. It does. So that's a good that's a good note. Yeah. All right, Jeff, we should get this thing wrapped up. All right. Uh, so a few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you so I can hear us both talking really fast. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions, comments to jiff at beerlandablog.com or at Twitter on and Instagram at, <laughs> at beervonapod. Oh, Patrick tweets at beernomics. And Jeff Beers tweets at beervonapod. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick. <laughs> Why are we going so fast? <laughs> I have no idea. All right.